We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. For the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. I am Mike Cosentino, your privileged host. This is such a treat to be able to host this audio journey every two weeks. I never do it alone. We all take this journey together with our friend Dolomite, Dave Martinez. D2, welcome to you. Good to be here. It is March 18th, which means yesterday was March 17th, so many were celebrating St. Patty's Day, so hopefully no one's too hungover to listen to the podcast <laughs> this morning. Still able to get the run in, but that also being said, it was also Publix Marathon and Half Marathon, so congratulations to everyone that ran. There was also a 5K, so if you ran a 5K, congratulations to you as well, the Half Marathon Marathon. So weather was beautiful. It was a perfect day to be out running. That is true, and for sure, that is not all we're thinking about. We're thinking about, yes, what is barely in the rear view. Congratulations, indeed, to all of the finishers, every distance, and what a spectacular occasion for the entire city of Atlanta. But along those lines, more spectacular occasions to come this year. Right, because it is the 50th anniversary to the AJC Peachy Road Race, and lottery and member registration open up on the 15th. So just reminding everyone, you have until March 31st to sign up if you're a member or enter the lottery. And those that enter the lottery will be notified either on April 1st or April 2nd. So it'll be a very quick turnaround. I know whether you're in for the largest party in Atlanta, the 50th anniversary AJC Peachy Road Race. Very, very cool, very special, and also very special, D2, the episode we're about to bring everyone. This was wonderful, I believe, particularly for me and for you. We have a colleague in our industry and greatness in the sport of running, all in the same person. Our featured conversation today is none other than Bob Kennedy. Bob Kennedy is a name those of you who have followed the sport for quite some time know immediately. For those of you perhaps who are not the track and field or the running statistic geeks, here's what I will tell you very briefly. He was a an American record holder, not just in a single distance. He was our great country's record holder at one point in the 5,000, the 3,000, and the two-mile mark. He was an Olympian in 1996. We, of course, start our conversation by welcoming him back to Atlanta, so to speak. And he is now, when we say colleague, one of those who is doing incredibly good work in the industry, like Big Peach Running Company. He has a business in Indianapolis, and that is something that we get into. So he continues to serve the sport. What a pleasure it was to have him on. We'll bring you that conversation completely uninterrupted. We title this episode, Accomplishment is a Lifestyle. You'll see very quickly, very thoroughly, Bob Kennedy is just that. We'll be right back after this brief message. Do your feet hurt? Feel any discomfort in your joints or lower back when you run? Your shoes might be the root of the problem. Whatever your fitness level, your feet should be comfortable and your shoes shouldn't be the cause of an injury or keep you from achieving your fitness goals. Come into any of our seven Big Peach Running Company locations for a free three-step fit process, including a video gait analysis. Our professional fitters will help get you into shoes that fit so you can enjoy running, 
walking, or any activity that requires you to be on your feet. Our 100% satisfaction guarantee will give you peace of mind if your new shoes don't live up to your expectations. Simply return them. No problems, no hassles, no time limit. We want to make sure you're completely happy with your shoes so you can achieve your fitness goals. Visit Big Peach Running Company today. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. This is a real treasure already for me, and we have yet to officially introduce our guest. I say that because it is not often enough that I personally get the good fortune of connecting and catching up with Bob Kennedy, an American legacy for sure in our sport. We are going to cover so much ground in this episode, D2, but before we get started, Bob, thank you very much for being willing to do this and being part of the Run ATL podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mike and D2, and uh, look forward to the conversation. Well, it's going to be a great conversation, and I already mentioned this before D2 fired up the mic, and I'm going to say this to everyone. And of course, we're going to talk about some of your amazing athletic accomplishments, and I think there are very few times when our guests maybe need no introduction, but I do want to say this at the onset. You and your running accomplishments preceded my knowledge of who was who in the sport of running. Of course, I had heard your name and certainly tracked along with the Olympics when you were in the trials and ultimately making the teams. And yet at the same time, I did not really understand how much impact you had in your sport until we ended up in the same industry. And for those of you who do not know this part about Bob Kennedy, he also has been in and around the retail industry and also in the specialty run walk channel for quite some time. And that's how I really got to know Bob. So if there is ever any doubt, let's put it aside right now. Is he as good of a human being and as a person as what he was? a? I will tell you, he most certainly is. I think we would be remiss if we didn't start, Bob, with some of the things that you did do in your athletic background. And we mentioned a couple of these items, of course, in our intro of you in terms of the American records, the appearances on the Olympic teams, those victories that you had and some of the events in which you participated. As a place to start, considering this is the Run ATL podcast, take us back to 1996, the Centennial Olympic Games here in your backyard, maybe where you would say one of my favorite places I've ever been or perhaps why I don't come to you more often, Mike. But the Olympic Games, when they were in Atlanta, you were on the team, a 5,000-meter athlete. You made the finals. For those who need to see it, we will put it in our show links, that particular race. And you had quite a race, Bob. In fact, leading at one point. And my curiosity would be, as you get ready for Olympics – in Atlanta and ultimately head to the starting line, you wouldn't mind sharing what transpired during those special time. Uh, yes, absolutely. And, and to, to put it to, to rest early, it, it was it was a great time and a great memory. And um, uh, that is not what keeps me from Atlanta. It's more <laughs> it's more you know shoes and kids and and life in general. Schedule, so, but I need mean, schedule exactly. I'll I'll try to get down there more. I um like I said, a, a great great memory for me. Something that uh, I will do cherish and will cherish um, 
till the end of my days. But but to answer your question, so not to, to spend the whole time talking about this, but that was a year where I was running at my best. I had um, set uh, an American record at 3,000 meters. Um, I was um, uh, one of the, um, I think I was the third fastest 5,000 meter runner in the world going into the Olympic Games in Atlanta. And um, I was running at my best um, that I'd ever run before. Having said that, the field in the 5,000 meters was so deep. And I'm not sure it's, I could say it's the deepest it's ever been, but it has to be one of the deepest 5,000 meter Olympic fields that I've ever seen. Meaning, I think that when you look down the start list and look at the pedigree of all the athletes of the final, there were probably eight or nine or even 10 uh, athletes with legitimate shot at winning a medal. Right. And so that is um, uh, exciting if you're a fan and nerve wracking if you're one of those 10 uh, athletes. So um, and, and I was 26 years old. Uh, actually, I was technically probably 25, maybe going on 26 since my birthday's in August. And um, the the I've run a lot of races, high school, college, post collegiately. But there is no feeling like like getting ready to stand on the starting line of Olympic final, especially in your home country, uh, that doesn't bring a lot of thoughts of, wow, am I ready for this? What's going on here right now? And I'll never forget, uh, and I use this um, story in some speaking I do for high school kids specifically, uh, when we talk about nerves. And, you know, when you're nervous about something, uh, it can really have a negative impact if you allow it to kind of control your energy. And I was nervous. And I remember running um, with a friend of mine, uh, Frank O'Mara, who's a great Irish runner a few days before. And he's like, how you doing? I'm like, Frank, I'm nervous. And he's like, well, what are you nervous about? I said, Frank, if you in case you hadn't realized, we're you know at the Olympic Games and it's the biggest stage for running uh, that ever will be. And I'm nervous about how I'm going to do. And he said, well, how's the racing been going? And I said, well, you know, it's been going great. Never better. How's training? Training is phenomenal. I feel as strong as I've ever felt. What are you nervous about? And it finally hit me then that what I was nervous about was crashing and burning. And I think that for a lot of athletes, that's what we get most nervous about. It's not that if we're supposed to finish 10th, then we finish 15th. It's that if we're supposed to finish 10th, then we finish dead last, right? And... um and so we just worked through some, I worked through some mechanisms of I'm racing better than I've ever raced. I'm training better than I've ever trained. I will stand on that starting line and I will, I will put forth the effort uh, and the tactics that give me the best chance of doing as good as I can be. And then wherever it, it falls, it falls. And that's what, and fast forwarding, that's what happened. And so in 1996, I don't really do this anymore. There were three rounds, so I had run a qual preliminary round on on Thursday. Uh, I went ran a semifinal on Friday, and then the final was on Sunday. So three five thousands in four days, um, which changes the game a little bit. Oh my! God. And I was uh, I was fast finisher, but not even close to as fast as the fastest guys out there. So Paul Betok and Ian Gabo and 
um, Bulami from Morocco and Dieter Baumann from Germany. There are all guys who could run 52, 53, 51 last laps if you let them. Um, and I knew that I, I couldn't allow that to happen. And so our plan, and I can close in 54, 55, which is still fast, but you know, the big difference from 52, it's, you know, it's look, you look silly if, if you run 54 and the other guy runs 52. But, um, so our plan was if the race was slow to really push for home with a lot, with a mile to go, four laps ago, and really just make people run. I, I always believed and coach bell, my coach at Indiana university taught me this, make your competitors do something that they don't want to do. Uh, and so go for home earlier than they, than, than they probably want to. If the race was fast, we were going to wait till, you know, two laps to go. And so the race was kind of in between fast and slow, which if you're even decent at math and statistics, the adjustment would be what? Go, go with three laps to go. So, uh, I didn't do that. I waited till two laps to go. And this is where Mike, you talked about taking the lead. Uh, I wanted the lead with two laps to go. And I proceeded to run 157 for the last 800 meters of the Olympic final uh, and finish sixth. Um, and so the, that's all setting up this kind of what I talked about being when I talked earlier about being nervous about something. Uh, I certainly wish and, and was somewhat disappointed that I didn't win a medal. But when I'm sitting on my couch over 20 years later, I'm proud of, of that event and everything that led up to it. And I'm, what I'm most proud of is I took a shot, right? I made a run to win, possibly medal, and it didn't work out. I think the worst thing that could happen, the worst feeling that I could have right now, 20-some years later, is sit there and, and say, I wish I would have made the move. Uh, and, and I think that I kind of live my life a little bit that way. Uh, but I think it's important. I think that in society, and I'm going to shut up here in a second cause I can talk about this for too long, but <laughs> no such but, thing. <laughs> but I think that, you know, I have teenage kids now and I, 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 I spend some time with high school athletes. And one of the things I see happening is, you know, this fear of failure, this and you can call it uh, everyone gets a ribbon and, and and that but you know this fear of failure this fear fear of having to walk off the cross-country course or the track and say oh i didn't do it right and i'm saying go for it i would rather you walk off the cross-country course or the track or come out of the classroom or uh um whatever and say Man, it didn't work out like I hoped, but I went for it and I got a ton out of that experience. And to me, that's what leads to great things down the road. Well, what an awesome indication of what I think we say in all of our stores, your stores in Indiana, our stores here in Georgia, for that person who wants to finish their first 5K or someone who's going after maybe a Boston qualifier. And what I think you just pulled for us is your preparations were as consistent and as deep as they could be as you came to Atlanta. You had hit the marks, like you said, you owned a couple of American records. This is kind of an interesting footnote 
for those who might not have thought about it in these terms, Bob mentioned his time in the 5,000 meter coming into the 1996 Olympic Games. It was sub 13, 12 minutes, 58 seconds, and 21 hundredths. That was, at the time, the first time from a non-African ever under 13 minutes. And so your preparations, obviously substantial and successful. Secondly, you just mentioned you ran your race, despite what I'm sure would be nerves none of us could relate to on that world stage. You ran your race, and by the time it was over, regardless of where you finished, you could say that you did the best you could. And for me, and what we say all the time is if you can look at your training by the time you go to the start line and say, I did everything I could, and then you look at whatever the event might have been, and you can say you did the best that you could, then at that point, you have nothing but pride that should be part of your memory, regardless of how the results turned out. Absolutely. And and I think that if we if we operate our in our lives that way, whether it be running, whether it be work, whether it be school, uh, parenting, relationships, um, that that we're putting best effort forward and best honest effort forward, and we're looking to grow and learn, and that's what we're looking for in experiences. Then, then, like I said earlier, that's how we set ourselves up for the best chance of success. Well, and let's talk about some of those ways to set ourselves up, because there are a couple of things that are part of your athletic story, Bob, that I find particularly appealing, especially with this episode that we've titled Accomplishment is a Lifestyle. And we know we have listeners of every age, some who are maybe more, and you and I actually have a birth date that is within one that's month. Right. I yeah. am happy to report that I am all of about 27 days younger than uh, you. But then we have those people who you mentioned in high school, and we, of course, have partners and teammates and guests in our respective operations that are decades older than we are who are still very much getting the most out of every day they have. You won a couple of state titles when you were in high school, and so you come onto the scene pretty quickly in the NCAAs, and you win the NCAA cross-country championship as a freshman. Yes. And it doesn't happen your sophomore and junior year as a repeat or that second title, but then all of a sudden, here you are your senior year, you repeat as that national championship at the NCAA championships for cross-country, and that ends up becoming one of your best years, especially as you start to transition to being a professional. Talk about what it takes whether it's a period of life that some of us can relate to, like college, going from a freshman to being a senior, or that any of us might be able to think about when we look at a four- or five-year period, where we get some early success or some early indications, this might be what we were designed to do, but then we don't always see the results, but we stick with it, and sooner or later, it gets even better. Take us back to your collegiate career and how you made sure it was impactful right from the get-go, but also as you were nearing graduation. Yeah, I'll 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 do my best with that. I think I think I'd start with um, distance running specifically, and I'm no I'm sure there are other activities or um, um, trades or or whatever that also have this in common. But distance running specifically requires. Uh, uh, consistency and persistence over time 
to find success. And when I when I define success, I usually try to define it as uh, what's your what's your best self? Like, what are you capable of doing? Not necessarily are you winning a state championship or are you making a, a varsity team at a division one program or, or are you running under two hours and a half marathon? It's what, 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 what's the best that I have. And it may be all of those things and more, it may be less, but this is where we get to 20 years from now. And I keep saying 20 years from now sitting on my couch, cause that is literally the best advice I ever received from, um, um, my former coach and manager, Kim McDonald, who's like 20 years from now, how are you going to feel about this? And that was specific conversation about drugs in sport, which we can talk about later, which I've never done, but FYI, <laughs> just a little teaser there. Yes. Um, the, but, but 20 years from now, how are you going to feel about every, every bit of energy and effort that you put into something? How are you going to feel about it? And if it's all about, this one thing, if it's all about, I have to run this time or I have to make this team or I have to, you know, set this record and you're just not physically capable of doing that, you will not have the appreciation for the success that you had, even if you miss that goal. And I don't know if, if I'm communicating that effectively or not, but I think that's so important. I probably never, never achieved the big goal that I set for myself every year. Never. I got very, very close, right? So I'm, it might be that I, hey, I want to run 12.56 in the, in the 5,000. I never did that. But I ran 12.58. It might be that I want to medal in the Olympics. I never did that. But I got six, you know. So some people might look at that and say that's failure. I look at it and say I really stretched my goals. And through the process of trying to achieve them, even through failure, I succeeded. So now I'll try to circle back and answer your original question. But um, so so going into uh, college from high school, um, I wish I knew then what I know now. I was blind. Uh, I um, uh, was untapped. I was undertrained. Um, and I went to Indiana University and Sam Bell, who was is an iconic distance and middle distance coach in the U.S. Uh, I, I came in under his wing, and uh, I basically did whatever he asked me to do. And I listened and I paid attention, um, but I wasn't I wasn't aware of what was going on, and so I just followed his cues. And I'm lucky enough that I think my natural ability brought me to the point where uh, I had an opportunity. Uh, and, and I did win the NCAA cross country championship as a freshman, but he, here's some, some markers along the way. So, um, you know, I started out, I was decent. I was finishing top three or four in kind of the early invitational meets. Um, we go to the big 10 championship and it's me and probably about seven Wisconsin guys. Cause they were phenomenal that year in the lead pack. And with about a kilometer to go, Coach Bell pops up from behind a tree, which, you know, seems, seems like that's what happened. I'm sure that's not what happened. And he's like, Bob, now, now's the time. And I'm like, oh, okay, coach said go. So I, I started to go. And I, and I ran away from the field, and I won the Big Ten Championship, right? I didn't have any inclination myself that that's, that's the move that should be made, right? 
I just listened to my coach because I was 18 and I hadn't had those experiences. So move fast forward. We're at the NCAA meet. I think I was fourth in the regional. And, and he said, where, where do you think, where do you think you can finish? And I said, I, I think I can be all American top 20. He's like, you're going to be top five. And, um, and so race goes on. There's a pack of six or seven. It's probably a mile to go. And there's three or four guys starting to break away. And I'm not in that breakaway pack. Coach Bell from out behind a tree, seemingly again, pops up. He goes, this is the race. This is the race right now. Again, I didn't know what was going on. I just did what Coach Bell said. So I basically chased that lead pack down and ended up winning the race. So you go into you go into college and if you look at athletes that are good early or even good late and you think wow they know exactly what they're doing when you're 18 19 20 there there probably are athletes that know what they're doing i didn't i was running i was just running and growing and experiencing and learning and listening and, and I probably didn't put all that together until my mid twenties where I could make those decisions on my own. Um, and, and then I learned from there and then you become basically a self self coach with guidance after that point. I feel like I lost the, the question there, but. Well, you did, a, you did even better. You didn't lose the question. You gave me a couple of things that I want to follow up on. And, and you mentioned the fact that you listened and then you executed and you obviously executed with distinction. If you think about all of a sudden, here's your coach and saying, it is time, Bob, it is time to go. And then you execute that move, not only to improve your time, if you would not have heeded that instruction, but also to win these very uh, distinctive races. You mentioned how you even got better in your twenties. If we think about the USA TF national championships for cross country, there was actually a 12-year separation between when you won your first title yeah. and when you won your last title. So that's real longevity. I'm assuming that that connects back with being that person who was very dependent upon quality instruction and then a requirement to do the best you could to execute to being more self-coach with some guidance and having to execute a plan every single day to get the most out of your training and maybe get the most out of yourself. What does it look like then as someone in their mid twenties or really running at the pinnacle of their career and to have the discipline you mentioned, Bob, no drugs. That was something that I'm sure was around you. I would like to get your perspective oh, yeah. on that, but your discipline wasn't your workouts. It obviously went beyond that. For all of us who have those in our life who are in the mid-20s or even for ourselves, we need to figure out better institute discipline. How did you manage that discipline as you were at that point in your career where Olympic teams, national championships, for those who don't realize what an impact he had, had a sponsorship with Nike, had a shoe ultimately named after him, the Kennedy XC something Big Peach Running Company historically has sold very, very well. So you've got all this pressure to manage as well at that point. How do you suggest that we take a page out of your book to institute more discipline? 
Yeah, great question. And I'm having these conversations with my 14 year old twins who are, <laughs> who are great athletes in their own right. My daughter's a great, uh, talented distance runner and my son's a really talented soccer player. Um, that's my plug for, for them. But, um, awesome. then, so, so having these conversations and thinking back and, and, and then actually how I try to apply these practices in my work world and, and with, with running retail, uh, right now are all the same. And to me, it really comes down to when you talk about discipline, I believe discipline is doing the right thing today that sets you up for the success that you're looking for down the road. And so if we bring that back into uh, training uh, um, for uh, you know the Olympics, uh, if it's an Olympic year or world championships, if it's a world championship year, in my world in my mid-20s, the, um, there was one event that was the most important event every year. And I define that and I work backwards from there. So let's just pick the Olympic year. Everything revolves around the Olympic Games, right? Number one. Number two, and you could also argue this is a co-number one, uh, the Olympic trials. Because without success in Olympic trials, in our system, you don't you don't get to the Olympic Games. Everything else back to basically October of the previous year uh, um, revolves around that. And I think the common, common mistakes that I see in athletes and coworkers, uh, in, um, in, in my life today is we get nervous because we're struggling today. And then we start to chase the shiny object, right? Shiny object syndrome. So let's use that as a running example. So the Olympic games are in August, right? And now we're racing a little indoors. It's January, it's February. And we go to a race and we run well, but we get destroyed over the last 800, right? And, and, and maybe I'm favored and I get third and, uh, and I come home and I'm disappointed. And so the undisciplined thing to do, which is a very common mistake, is next week I hit the speed, right? Well, I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm going to get fast so that when I race again in two weeks, I'm going to I'm going to destroy those guys, right? That is very undisciplined. That is not what's most beneficial for the Olympic Games in August. That's what's most beneficial. It's like a sugar high, right? And and the hardest thing to do for many people is to avoid the sugar high, to avoid the shiny object, and really think. What's the best thing to do today that moves me towards my ultimate goal, right? And, and that requires short-term sacrifices. And same, and I know, Mike, you probably deal with this every day in your, in your work world as well. What's, okay, we had bad weather last week. Sales were down. What do we do? We do rush and mark everything down, have a big sale? No, we, we're going to continue to try to do the best thing today that sets us up for our long-term success. And it's the same in running. It's the same thing I'm trying to teach my kids as they as they try to look at short-term. Because they like, they like being patted on the back. We all like being patted on the back. Good job. Good race. Great game. Right? Whatever it was. Great week of business. And, and we'll take those, but only if they're in line with what we're trying to do long-term. 
And uh, I, I'm a big believer in that. So a lot of times when I'm sitting in meetings at work or talking to my children and we're talking about this happened and this was negative and that, that didn't work out quite as well as I had hoped, um, my questions are always, well, how's progress for a long-term goal going? Like, are we doing the things we need to do? And, and I think that is, you know, the difference between co-equal talented runners, equally talented runners, and one of them is really successful in the Olympics and the other kind of fizzles out. Usually the really successful athlete is the one who is most disciplined throughout the course of the year to get to that end goal. Gosh, what a wonderful reminder. D2, you'll appreciate this. I am just so excited to hear this answer. And Bob, I don't know, and perhaps this is somewhat of a inappropriate name to bring to a Hoosier such as yourself, but are you familiar <laughs> with the Lou Holtz teaching on when, what's important now? I, I Well, I'm, I'm familiar with Lou Holtz. I'm not probably not... Um specifically familiar with that teaching though. So sounds so we just took our leadership it. team through this and he talks about what's important now. So whether it's as a parent, whether it's as a business leader, whether it's as a community <laughs> influence, certainly as an elite athlete, if you have that end goal and you just pulled that out so well to be able to say, okay, you have to stay focused, not on to use your term, the shiny object, but what that target was that you originally set that maybe two months or two years down the road. But you need to always be asking yourself, what's important now relative to that target? So, for example, if I want to have an amazing impact on my children and I recognize that verdict will not come in until perhaps they're in their mid-20s or have families of their own, the decision I make at 6 p.m., whether I can crank through one more project or fire through a bunch more emails or whether I'm going to shut it down and be home for dinner Right. So what's important now, because that end goal of wanting to have that impact on their lives, and it allows me to make the better decision moment when the shiny object would be inbox zero or getting a head start on a project that I know I need to have finished by the end of the week. Yep. And, and you drew it out so, so perfectly. So now if we think about going from discipline to disappointment. All athletes, and what I would love to believe is absolutely true, I know it is in my own life, all human beings have disappointment as well. How did you find it be something you could handle when it didn't turn out the way you wanted? Because I think we can learn from these elite level athletes because we think, well, we saw the headline and we saw the glamour <coughs> shot, we read the results that they win all the time. <laughs> right. That's not true. In right. fact, if I think about just the longevity of your career at such a high level, we're spanning decades. And I know you well enough to know you'd be the first to say, I didn't win every single race. In fact, I didn't even feel that good about my performance every single time. How did exactly. you come to deal with disappointment? And what would you coach us on for our, the disappointment that uncertainly will come into our own lives at a on occasion? Yeah, and I love this question and this topic uh, because I actually think it's the most important thing developing uh, um, our children, our young people, or our coworkers, or ourselves is that I think our society in general, on average, um, 
really maybe it's because of the short sound bites and the short media cycle, but they focus so much on highlights, right? There's highlight shows in sports. There's highlight shows in business, all these things that, that it becomes unacceptable to fail. Um, or at least that's the perception, but I am a firm believer that failure is 100% necessary in order to be as successful as you are. If you never fail at something, that means you're not pushing the limits. It means you're not testing yourself. It means you're not uh, uh, trying to accomplish, you're not stretching your goals far enough. And so if you, and, and you know, I don't do it as much anymore, but I talk to high school athletes and I love it. And one, one of the huge points I try to uh, drive home is ex- once you learn to accept failure as a necessary part of finding out how good you can be, you open the door up, you free your mind, you take the burden off of yourself, right? So now you go out to a, re- a mid a mid uh, season race, and instead of worrying about whether you're going to win the race or not, or you're either going to be fifth on the team or eighth on the team, you start to p- pick the race apart in a, in a way that, that works on your weaknesses, or maybe you're going to try something you never tried before. Maybe you usually go out too hard and maybe you're going to like hold back over the first kilometer, or maybe it's the opposite of that. Or maybe it's the really the third K is my weakness and I'm going to really hit the third K. And if I blow up and four and five, I'm okay with that in this race, the ability to be able to take those chances and because you've removed the fear of failure, because you've accepted that failure is a necessary part of figuring out how to be successful, you free yourself. And I believe that in business. I believe that in family. And, uh, and I, be- I certainly believe that in athletics. And um, I kind of learned that through some great guidance. That's another thing. Mentors and coaches and bosses and coworkers that are supportive of this. Uh, and supportive of you as a whole human being, as a whole athlete, uh, are important to learn this. It's hard to learn it just on our own. But I learned that probably in my in in my early early twenties, early to mid twenties. And so you're right. Um, I remember in the um, 2012 uh, Olympic Games, we we're watching it on TV, and my daughter, who was 11 at the time. She was. She knows a little bit of my history, and she said, "Did you win every race going into the Olympics?" And it's <laughs> like, "Well, sweetheart, no. In fact, I lost a lot more races than I won. I failed uh, uh, um, at achieving my goals a lot more often than I succeeded." And I think it's just so important to be able to tell our kids that that's going to happen. You should want that to happen, and you should learn from it, and then you're going to be as good as you can be. What a terrific lesson for your daughter and and for all of us. And so, Bob, one of the things that I've really come to admire about you is it seems like you really enjoy the journey as well, not just, well, what were the results or perhaps just the answer to the question, how prepared I am, but you seem to be getting the most out of and even enjoying the journey. Was that the case as an athlete as well? When we think about some of those rigorous training sessions, when we think about all of the travel, when we think about some of the pressure that comes with being a world-renowned athlete that has nothing to do with getting out there and really applying your trade, but just an yeah. expectation that comes with it. 
how was the journey per se as an athlete of that caliber? That, that the journey is everything. And I think I'm a bit fortunate because I was, you know, my professional career was 13 years long. And so really when you add high school and college into that, you're talking 21 years uh, uh, of high level competitive uh, running, which is, you know, the, the long end of the curve, right? Most, yep. most elite athletes, um, are somewhere between three and six years post collegiately. I'm guessing I don't have that stat, but that'd be my guess. And, um, and so I had kind of an ability through that to really learn to appreciate the journey. I think the word journey, um, first entered my mind and my brain when I was fortunate enough at 16 years of age uh, at the Foot Locker Cross Country Championships as a junior in high school, uh, Billy Mills was the speaker. And Billy Mills talked about, I don't remember the whole speech, but I remember this part. He talked about, um, it's, he, he had this line where he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, it's not about the records and the medals and the championships. It's all about the journey. And um, I didn't really know what that meant at 16. But for some reason, it stuck in my head. Stuck in my head, and as I went through my own journey and got to be twenty and twenty-five and thirty, uh, it started. To, I said, "Oh, okay. I think I'm starting to understand what Billy meant when he talked about this." And certainly at forty-eight, I fully appreciate. You know, th- there's many journeys within the journey, but there's really one journey, and it's your human. Uh, 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 your journey as a human being from birth to death and running and competitive running is a big part of my journey, but it's not the totality of my journey. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of off track here, but I'm a big believer that, you know, on our last day on earth, uh, it's, it's, it's not the medals and the championships and the amount of money we made and the success we had in business. It's the human connection. And so it's my, co- my, my teammates and my coaches and my mentors and my family and my, my friends that, that all were part of my journey. And hopefully I'm a positive part of their journey that ultimately matter. And that's kind of what I'm most appreciative from my running career as I'm, sit 20 plus years on my couch and look back i'm most appreciative of sam bell and kim mcdonald and marcus o'sullivan and steve holman on and on i'll leave someone out if i start naming everyone but so many great friends that have such a great impact and still do today on on my life that's and we all have that hopefully right whether it's through running or through work or school or family or whatever uh that's the most impactful thing for us as we explore well, this was going to be one of my final questions, but you set me up so perfectly. I'm going to ask it now. So okay. you mentioned your last day on Earth, decades, decades from now. We, given fact we hope. We admitted we're within 30 days of each other from a birth date. <laughs> so that probably means we may be tracking along on the same other on the other side of the coin. What do you think about when you think about Bob Kennedy's legacy, not just to the sport, but overall? When it comes to the people that around or have had exposure to or who have had exposure to you because of the sport. 
and this may be even your family who you mentioned watching the Olympics with your daughter or having these conversations with your sons who are playing soccer. What, what do you think and what do you believe? And what do you want to be your legacy? I think, yeah, that's a great question, Mike. I, I think that um, my hope would be that um, there are a number of people in this world um, that I had a positive impact on, that I inspired to be better than I thought they could be at something, whether it be running or whatever, um, that um, that created a foundation of um, – I like to say quite often to people, let's, let's not be so hard on ourselves, right? Um, let's enjoy the journey. Let's explore. Let's fail. And if, if those words – had some sort of positive impact on someone's life and that that's that's enough for me i'm not i'm not a great self-promoter i'm not you know i'm not out on social media trying to build my followers and so i can write a book um I'm, and there's nothing wrong with that it's just not my personality uh, and, i was uh, gonna say you're actually a terrible safe self-promoter <laughs> the most humble guys i know and i'll tell a quick story when i go into my next question as it relates to you but i actually love that about you and again there's nothing wrong with it for those who are doing it but just to call that out i would agree with you you're not a great self-promoter yeah yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. And, 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 um, you know, it's not that I haven't thought about it or not that I'm interested in, in kind of telling a story. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not my go-to and, and, uh, I, I, I feel, I, re I feel really, I feel like my journey is very personal. Like I feel like running, uh, I did, I did what I did because it meant something to me, not because, I wanted to be on covers of magazines or, you know, do all those other things, which I appreciate. I, I'm not saying I hated those things. I, I enjoyed them. <laughs> I, I do have an ego, just like most people. Um, uh, but, but, but I look back and like you said, your last day on earth, I, I'm proud of what I did on the track and on the cross country course. And I'm proud internally. I'm not proud because everyone look, else looks at me and says, wow, that guy was great. Um, like I said, that's not a bad thing. So, um, but who knows? I, it doesn't mean I won't write a book one day. I just don't know what the story is yet. And we haven't really talked much about it, Mike. But you, everything that I've talked about in running, success, failure. You know, I've I've had success and failure in business, and and high success and big failure. And and I've learned a lot in the last ten years uh, more about myself in business as much as I have through running in the 20 years prior to that. And it's all the same principles. It's all the same principles, which is fascinating to me. Well, let's talk about that because, again, we have this kindred spirit that we share as it relates to now being in the running industry and having the good fortune of serving our guests and our community through the retail operations and the special events that we're a part of. So that's how I got to know you. And, and Bob, I'll never forget. This was right after, and this made, you know, big headlines, not just in the sporting goods business journal, but really everywhere you might turn and find a business page or the sports section. When you went from being an athlete that had been endorsed by Nike, which you had that contract for quite some time over 10 years, I believe. Yeah. 12. Yeah. 
12 mm-hmm. years with Nike and then ultimately went with Puma. And now this was, you know, as the athletic accomplishments were perhaps sunsetting a little bit and you were transitioning to your business acumen. And I was in, I don't even remember where I was, but I was at some conference or what have you, where they would parade a number of us retailers <laughs> into the room. And Puma at the time was trying to really find itself. This was right. prior to the Bolt days and prior to some of the success they had on the track with an athlete or two. But they wanted us to immediately consider them as a fully legitimate technical running brand. Right. And here's Bob Kennedy to make that pitch, or so I thought. Right. I thought, my goodness, how long will this last? (laughs) And by the time I left there, instead I thought, I don't know if we'll ever have Puma in any of our stores, but Bob Kennedy is a fascinating individual. (laughs) And the knowledge that you conveyed about our business and the way that you indicated the sensibilities that had to come with bringing any new brand into a store or being mindful of consumer demand and satisfying what your guests would expect as they come through your doors, I was just like, wow, this guy gets it. Even if he wasn't an Olympian, an American record holder, an NCAA champion, all these things that you were, I'd still want to cozy up next to you and say, what do you think about this? What should we be doing? How can we get better? So now here you are 10 plus years into it. And with all due respect to elite athletes everywhere who have elected to transition from their success on the track or on the trail or certainly in the Olympics and put it into a running store or some running brand, you do it with a purpose that seems independent of your past success and completely focused on the future and on those who you get to serve in the present. What do you believe is so true about what you're doing now that you couldn't do without, even if you weren't the same Bob Kennedy we've been talking to with all the success in the sport of running? Yeah, it's, it's, um, well, and, 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 in full disclosure, I, I had to learn all of that and, um, it wasn't learned overnight as I'm sure you also experienced, right? But, that's but the it's discipline, right? I mean, you applied right. a real discipline to that. Right. It's having open eyes. It's, uh, being willing to take some chances. It's being willing to look in the mirror and when things go wrong I'm a big believer that uh, there's two kinds of people when things go wrong. One kind of person that looks out the window for a reason why it went wrong, and the other person looks in the mirror first and says, what did I do or did not do that was part of this problem? And I'm a look-in-the-mirror kind of person, and, um, and, and that doesn't mean it's always my fault. But but uh, but you have to start there in order to have successful resolution. So so to answer well to talk about um, your question, um, I, I quickly learned when I got into the business um, that the real reason I wanted to be well the the reason I I got into the business because I looked at my other options and generally someone that's done the things that I did athletically does one of three things. They're, they work for a shoe company in sports marketing. Uh, they um, they kind of go on the agent side of the business uh, or they coach, you know, high school, co- collegiate coach kind of situation. And although none of those I have, well, 
maybe agents I have a real problem with, but um, none of those <laughs> I had a real problem with, but none of them really excited me. I'm like, yeah, I just, I just don't, it just wasn't interesting to me. And so running retail became an option. And um, I explored much like I think you did. I kind of explored, I visited stores, I talked to owners, um, I talked to some brands, but I quickly, it hit me quickly that there are people out there that are living normal, great lives, working, going to school, raising their families, you know, all those things that are running either for the first time or have been running for a while. And their um, goals, I should say, the result of their goals and their journey are no different than what I experienced when I was competing um, professionally, meaning that they have to set a goal, they have to put the work in, they have to think long-term. And when they cross the finish line in the half marathon, full marathon, 5K, the sense of accomplishment is the same. It's literally, I know it's, it's hard for some people to believe sometimes, but I'm a firm believer of that. I'm a firm believer that, and I've, I, I, I talked to a group of people the, uh, a couple weeks ago, a, a corporate launch and learn downtown Indianapolis. And I asked, I said, how many people have seen pictures of, seen their friends or family do this or have done this themselves when they cross the finish line of a half marathon or a marathon and they're crying and, you know maybe a half the room raised their hand. I'm like, why are they crying? Because, because they're not sure that they, they weren't sure that they could do that, that the journey and the answers were this range. And I believe this, the answers were the journey is filled with such ups and downs that the goals are when you start, you don't think you can attain it. And when you do cross that finish line, whether it was in four hours or three hours or whatever, that sense of, holy cow, I just did that is so powerful. It's no different than the Olympic Games and Olympic trials, in my opinion. And so I kind of base our running retail on that. So everything that we do when we build a team, when we do our marketing, when we build a product mix, when we think about locations of stores and build outs, like I want to encourage and celebrate and inspire, we call it, you know, probably every running store has this in their mission, but to inspire and empower. Um, and, and I get great satisfaction out of that. Wow. That is, that is so awesome. Obviously for D2 and I to hear, because we are colleagues in the industry, but ladies and gentlemen, go back and listen to that again, certainly share it with those in your life who, have not yet committed themselves to a fitness routine, but are on the edge of doing so, it is not a phrase that I make up. It is a phrase that I can tell you exists in many, many places, and that is Bob Kennedy is one of the best American distance runners ever. And for him to say that, that the satisfaction is the same, when you cross that finish line, whether it's a physical finish line at a local 5K, <clears throat> the fact that you stuck with it and you did it four days this week and at the Absolutely. end of that day, you can raise your hands and publicly or privately shed those tears of joy. Well, I will tell you, Bob, this is super cool. I'd like to be able to 
think we could do this on a regular basis because you have so much to offer. Certainly, it is a gift for me to consider you a friend and colleague. I look forward to seeing you again soon. I know we've got a few occasions this year where we'll run into each other. Certainly, I look forward to that. Thank you for again, just like you did in 1996, I'm sure since, but now here in 2019 for sharing yourself with us and inspiring Atlanta. Well, thank you so much. I, I, I love this. I'm happy to come back anytime. Keep doing what you're doing in Atlanta for the runners and walkers of that community. You've got a great operation down there and uh, at Big Peach, and you know we're just trying to keep up with you. <laughs> well, you do so quite capably, and D2, as you know, we're just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this message. You've got the right shoe for you, but maybe you're still getting blisters, and your feet aren't too happy. The source of your discomfort may be the socks you're wearing. Cotton is rotten. You need socks made from synthetic materials that wick away the moisture that can lead to blisters. Big Peach Running Company carries a variety of styles and brands, including Features, Balega, Swiftwick, and Njinji. Every sock is buy three, get one free. Mix and match brands and styles? It doesn't matter. You'll save 25% when you pick up four pairs of socks. Keep your feet happy and stock up on socks at Big Peach Running Company. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. What a privilege it was to have Bob on these airwaves. D2, you said it best. He put some real nuggets for us to take with us in that conversation. I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as you and I did. Yes, absolutely. And you know, and and speaking of our podcast, this was episode 49. We got 50, so kind of a bit of a milestone for us. So we are planning some nice, you know, something special for our next uh, 50th episode. That is very, very true. We talked about how having Mr. Kennedy on, we would operate under the banner of accomplishment is a lifestyle. This is an accomplishment of sorts for you and for me together. We've done a 50K together. So now we have the opportunity to say the milestone of getting our 50th episode of the Run ATL podcast, also an accomplishment that my goodness, we've inspired, been inspired by others to just keep going and that we will. Thanks to everyone who has been part of this experiment that we now are so proud to say is part of what we get to do every two weeks. You have indeed given us so many ideas. And as we put episode 50 together, we're going to look back. We're going to take your feedback. We're going to look at what you've sent us and we're going to pull out those pearls that have been perhaps the shiniest in those 50 episodes, bring them all to you completely packaged. So those of you who have just started listening can get caught up very quickly. And for those of you who have traveled with us every step of the way, you'll take that trip with D2 and me down memory lane while having something that you can lock onto for the future. It is bright for sure. This is so very cool. D2, you and I are celebrating this accomplishment by also, in fact, it's possible that the sound quality, even with how you can mix so beautifully, so many things that we either have in our background that ends up disappearing or all of the screw ups that I am responsible for in this case, <laughs> If it sounds a little tin canny 
we've moved into some new Urban Digs, a studio for the Ron ATL podcast, but we're not moved in. We're in transition. Yeah, that's right. So we do have a little bit of work to do. So this is our first uh, you know, recording here. So the acoustics are not great, but that is something we are working on. I mean, never did I know that when we started, you know, that we would have actually had a, a studio that we were working out of your apartment, my apartment in, in stores. And here we are going into our 50th episode and we've we, we got a studio, so we're, we, we got to fix some things. We're getting some new gear, and hopefully we'll improve the quality, um, you know, at least when we're together. I'm looking forward to it. I am as well, and thank you again to everyone who has inspired us, all of you who continue to tune in to share this and to pull things from this that you find useful have inspired D2 and I tremendously know how much you matter to us. And D2, with that, we will sign off, but not before. Just like we've said, all other episodes that have preceded number 49, as we certainly mean, as we will continue to say and live out, may your best miles be those covered on foot. Hey, y'all, if you enjoy our podcast, let us know. If you have topic suggestions, questions, or guests you'd like to hear on the Run ATL podcast, email us at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. That's podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. Or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube.